Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Mervyn Sunbow with a message called The First Fruits Company. If I could be permitted this morning to just kind of have a message within a message, there's a thing that I'd like to say before I get to what I really want to say. Is it seemed to be come to me so forcefully the other morning. We live in a very materialistic world, as I'm sure you are all aware. And I'm absolutely sure that we're all touched by it in some way or another. I want to read you a scripture that is very familiar to you in Matthew, the sixth chapter And the 19th verse. Jesus speaking. And he says, Lay uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. You know, what we have today, we can almost be certain of one thing, it may disappear tomorrow. You may have a a bank deposit book that on the on your night table and look at it and smile and go to sleep every night. You may have some other investments that you don't smile so readily at and don't sleep so well at night when you look at them. Fluctuations, changes that we don't expect come into this world of ours that change things dramatically in the realm of the material. It is transitory. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. I never ever thought that I would ever live to see the kind of theft that we experience today. Did you ever, did you ever, could you ever have imagined in your wildest dreams that someone could come and steal your identity? Actually steal your identity so they become you. And they do with that identity what they please to do. Has nobody ever heard of this before? You've got kind of weird looks on your faces. <laughs> but that is an absolute fact because I've read it in the paper, I've heard about it that this is possible to actually take your house or take some piece of property of yours because they become you. They've stolen your identity. Must be a terrible thing. I can't imagine it. A kind of theft we never even dreamed of. 
But I want to tell you, before I get to there, the material, the things. I, I've gotten old enough now. All my life I've accumulated things. If there's somebody in here who hasn't done like I've done, I'd like to read and talk to you. Accumulated things. Till I come to this place in my life where I say, I look at these things and I say, what are they here for? What am I going to do with them? I have a particular item at home. I don't know if I should tell you what it is. I've been trying to give it away. Maybe I should do as the fellow did with the refrigerator. He didn't want it any longer, but it still worked. But he got a new, better and a newer one, so he put it out on the sidewalk. And it sat there for days and days and days. Nobody wanted it. Until he got a bright idea one day, he went out and put a, put a sign on it, $50, and the next morning it was gone. <laughs> Somebody stole it, because now it's worth something. Maybe that's what I should do with mine. Only it's not a refrigerator. And if you think you have some notion of what I'm talking about, you come and see me. Because all you'll need is a, is a two-ton truck and a, and a forklift. And, and you'll be able to take it away. It's not a safe. <laughs> the accumulation of things that now don't seem to merely matter. That I don't really want. I phone up my children and say, do you want this? No, Dad, I don't want it. You want this. Give it to somebody. And so the downsizing is a painful experience of the things, the stuff, gathered over the years. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. They may steal my identity. They may steal your identity. But there is one identity that is not stealable, I'll tell you. And that's the identity that was spoken about by our brother here this morning that I have in glory. My identity with Christ, my identity with my Savior, no one can touch. It is mine and no one else's. Oh, Hallelujah. They may be able to erase your, your name on certain records and, and uh, uh, Ill, uh, illegally or whatever they might be able to do. But I'll tell you, there's a place where your name is written, where they cannot touch it, where it cannot be erased, and that's the, in the records of, of, of the kingdom of God. In His records there is your name, the Scripture says, and they cannot touch it. And there are so many things that we could go on to and talk about that are untouchable. Let someone tell you that you never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I got a good notion that you're going to tell them, get lost. I have received it 
and no one can take it from me. I received my salvation. It is absolutely untouchable, praise God. The day you came out of that water baptism and you came up out of that water, can anyone take that from you and that glorious experience that was yours? Can anyone take from you the day that they... They, that, that they uh, 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 placed their hands upon you and imparted to you the gifts of the Spirit. Can anyone take that from you? You know what you received. Oh, yes, you are responsible for it. Oh, yes, you are responsible to operate those gifts. Yes, 10,000 times yes. But they are yours. Hallelujah. They are yours. This stuff, this this world that we live in, we, know, we never know from day to day what might happen to us or what we might have to face. But there are certain things that are part of you, that are an integral part of you, that is yours and yours alone, that no one can touch. Praise God. I, I think I'll stop there with that part of the, the message. But I just wanted to say that. Because let us begin as the body of Christ to hold more and more loosely in our hands these things that we already know are transitory and passing and not get our eye fixed on them as being so, so important. Oh, do I mean you don't have to make a living? No. Do I mean that you do not have to accumulate certain things? Of course I don't. But let's not have our heart there. That's what that scripture is talking about. That's not where our heart should be. Hallelujah. You know, Andy, he talks a lot about marriage, and we appreciate it. Because he's got a lot of good things to say about that subject. But every once in a while I give him a little nugget in case he wants to add it to his repertoire of, of Jokes. <clears throat> he never does, but I keep doing this. <clears throat> the other day in the dining hall, I heard one. Behind every successful man, there's an astonished woman. <clears throat> and uh, I kind of like that one. It, it doesn't really apply to me because I never had too much success, but... Anyway, when I sat down at my computer a few days ago and started to think about a few things, I'm never sure whether I'm supposed to give it a, a topic when I start or whether I should be, give the topic when I'm finished. More than likely, it's better to put the topic in after I'm finished than, than before I start. And it was the very opposite in the secular world. You start off an essay, you knew what the topic was. And away you go with your introduction and your body and whatever you wanted to say in there, and then you concluded it and, and you shot it in. And, uh, hope for the best. You know, somehow in the realm of the spirit, it isn't quite like that. At least it isn't for me. Because I get started and I'm not so sure where it's going. And so maybe you're going to find the same this morning as I minister to you. He sounds like a guy who got started and didn't know where he was going. Like the uh, humorist Stephen Laycock who said, 
he got on his horse and he rode off in all directions. <laughs> now, <clears throat> if you want a topic, let's, let's call it, let's call it first fruits or maybe just fruits. But I'm going to at least begin with first fruits. It's the earliest fruit of the season. The fruit that has been, that has ripened for, uh, first or has come to maturity before the rest of the crop. The scripture says, you are God's husbandry. You are God's tillage. You are God's field. You are God's building. First Corinthians 3-9, uh, or that's from the King James. But the Philip says, you are a field under God's cultivation. Or, if you like, a house being built to His plan. I kind of like the way that's put. You are a field under His cultivation. Or a house built to His plan. The plan of God is that this field, which we are, or this building, which we are, will bring forth much fruit. And so His eye is ever watchful on us. You know, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as we walk this walk, that His eye is always on us. I would have misgivings if I knew that some of you always had your eye on me. Wouldn't that be kind of uncomfortable? But you know, we should not be uncomfortable about God having His eye on us. Because He has His eye on us for very good reasons. That's why. He's not unlike the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. And you know, I'm not so sure that we are going to be able to produce fruit of any kind or of any magnitude or of any quantity whatsoever in my life or in yours, unless there is a motivation there, and that motivation is love. Why do I say that? Because I've read chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians more than once, and I'm sure you have. And I want to remind you about what it says. Let us look at the 13th chapter of Corinthians. And just read, I'm going to read it from the Phillips, so you might have a little more difficulty following me if you're in the King James or another translation. But it's said very well in, in the Phillips, and so I'm going to read. If I speak with the eloquence of men and of angels, but have no love, I am no more than a, blare, a blaring brass and a crashing cymbal. Isn't that something? I'm just noise. If I have, a, have the gift of foretelling the future and hold in my mind not only all human knowledge, but the very secrets of God, and if I also have that absolute faith which can move mountains, but have no love, 
I am, I amount to nothing at all. If I dispose of all that I possess, yes, even if I give my own body to be burned, but have no love, I achieve precisely nothing. This love of which I speak is slow to lose patience. It looks for a way of being constructive. It is not possessive. It is neither anxious to impress nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. Love has good manners and does not pursue selfish, selfish advantage. It is not touchy. It does not keep account of evil or gloat over the wickedness of others, other people. On the contrary, it is glad with all good men when Truth prevails. I'll tell you, there's nothing like truth. For years, I've, I've, I've ta I guess I've ministered enough here in North Battleford so that you hear the same stories time and time again, and maybe you get sick of them. And, but, too bad. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know something? For years and for 30 years, in, in the secular public school system, I had to deal with what was truth and what was not truth. And I had somehow to try to get to what the truth was. And you think that's easy? If any of you have any experience with schools and students, you'll know that's not easy. But I'll tell you something. Once the truth is exposed, then you can do something with the problem. But until that time, you have no ability really to get to the problem. Truth is very important. And we speak of the truth in the spiritual realm. Oh, hallelujah. He is the truth. When we come to know Him, we come to know truth. Praise God. Not the truth of man, but the truth of God. And that's really what we're after. And so, he says... Uh, on the contrary, it is glad with all good men when truth prevails. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. Amen. If you want relationship breakdowns, I don't care at what level you, you, you look. If you want relationship breakdowns, get into the area of not telling truth. Get into that area that Brother Luff was talking about the other night or, or morning, whenever it was, about all of those areas. Some was exaggeration and, and some was half-truth and, and some was out and outright lying and so on and so forth. You get into that area in a relationship and it's going to crumble and it's going to fall because nobody knows what truth is. Amen? <clears throat> now, as a little diversion. Um, I'm coming back now to this idea of fruit and, and first fruits. I have a small little uh, strawberry patch at home. And, I, and I'm the husbandman. Although somewhat inexperienced. I began in early spring to watch the progress of those plants. The leaves soon started to turn a deep green and, and any weed that appeared was plucked out 
in order to give these plants the best chance possible of producing fruit. They need no opposition from dandelions, quackgrass, or any other form of the earth's curse. I faithfully watered them. And one day, Irene, the real gardener, I'm the pretend one, explained to me that my plants needed fertilizing. I took her advice and fertilized the proportions that she directed. <clears throat> Pretty soon the plants were flourishing and flowering. And in my mind's eye, I saw a big red berry in every white flower long before the fruit had begun to form. That's my mind's eye. I'm vigilant. I'm watchful. I'm waiting patiently for the precious fruit. After many days of, of observing the fruit beginning to form, I noticed one fair-sized berry turning just a little pink. Ah, the first fruit. Now, we have robins in our yard. And I know from previous experience that they too are looking for the first fruits of whatever crop is coming on. All of my labor and watching was not going to be wasted in the stomach of a red breast. I covered the first ripe berry with a rhubarb leaf, Irene's advice, and soon was rewarded with the eating of the first ripe berry of this crop. Oh yes, I gave Irene half of it as payment for her expert advice. The scripture says the husbandman, husbandman that labors must be first partaker of the fruits. 2 Timothy 2.6 Now the beauty of the first ripe fruit is that it is but an earnest, it is but a foretaste of what is to come. There have been many more of those nice juicy red berries for the past several days. And the harvest will continue for a few more days yet, I think. Although I left a note to the neighbor, help yourself to the strawberries while we're gone. But I was quick to put in while we're gone. <laughs> you may wonder why I spend a few minutes on the painstaking details of a little strawberry patch. Well, if I, an inexperienced gardener, am prepared to put such effort into a few berries that have minimal value in the whole scheme of things, you can imagine how diligently our Heavenly Father, the real husbandman, watches over us waiting patiently for the first fruits of his husbandry, his garden, his field, that which is under his cultivation, which we are. Which we are. He knows that once the first fruits form, there will be a harvest of abundance that will follow. 
In the Old Testament, first fruits symbolized the consecration of the entire harvest to God and were an earnest or a pledge of the full harvest yet to be gathered. God's program is the entire creation. Not just a small part of it. Let me emphasize that if I might permit. If you might permit. God's program is the entire creation. Let's not get stuck in our own little worlds. He loves His creation and is interested in restoring it back to Himself in perfect harmony. The salvation He offers is full. It is complete. And it is available. It is available to anyone here this morning who has not given their heart over to Him. It's available to the whosoever will outside this building to the whosoever will. And He is not willing that any should perish. He will reconcile the world unto Himself in His time and in His way. God has an agenda that will not fail. We can be part of it if we learn to be guided by His Holy Spirit. And there is the key. I think that's the key. I can get off on my own stuff. I can do my own thing. He will let me. But I'll tell you, when it comes right down to the nitty-gritty, I am going to have to learn to be led by God's Spirit. I long for the day. In my heart, I long for the day when I will be able to say, as Jesus said, I speak what He gives me to speak. I do what He gives me to do. And Sunbow will have passed into oblivion. And his mind, and his will, and his thinking, and his notions, and his ideas. Throughout the scriptures, we find that God always has a remnant of people who will follow him and desire to do his will. There is always that remnant there throughout the Scriptures. Sometimes not very many people. Because numbers never seem to be very important to God. He just accomplished His will through the whosoever would. We also find that there are many Scriptures that speak of bringing a people to maturity in Christ. And this people will be the first fruits company. 
let us spend a few minutes looking at some of the scriptures that reveal uh, the significance of those who will be faithful to the calling unto which God has called them. There is a calling. There's no getting away from that. Called, chosen, and faithful. The twenty, the eighth uh, chapter of the twenty-third uh, uh, of Romans says this: Romans eight twenty-three. It is plain to anyone with eyes to see that at the present time all created life groans in a sort of universal travail, and it is plain too that we who have a foretaste of the Spirit, who have a foretaste of the Spirit, or first fruits of the Spirit are in a state of painful tension while we wait for the redemption of our bodies, which will mean that at last we have realized our full sonship in Him. But from the Phillips. You see, that painful tension, I... I don't know if you say can say to yourself, yes, I know what that means. I, I feel that. I, I, I know what that, that Scripture means. But I know that we feel something kind of uh, akin to this, that I'm not satisfied with where I presently am. Don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful for where God has led us. I'm thankful for that. For where I am right now, I am thankful. But I am not satisfied because the fullness of it is not yet mine. And I want the fullness with all of my heart. And there comes in the painful tension, seeking and desiring and moving toward what God has for His people that are willing to walk with Him. Irene and I attended a funeral of a friend in Birch Hills just before we came to camp. And uh, there was a song sung that I had not heard before. And the words were full of meaning for me. And I'm going to read them to you. I wouldn't be able to sing them because I didn't know the tune then. And even if I knew the tune, I couldn't sing it. <clears throat> Some of you may know it. In the bulb there is a flower. Just like me, zero. In the bulb there is a flower. In the bulb there is a flower. In the seed an apple tree. In cocoons a hidden promise. Butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter... There's a spring that waits to be, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. There's a song in every silence, seeking word and melody. There's a dawn in every darkness, bringing, bringing hope to you and me. From the past will come the future. 
what it holds a mystery. Unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. In our end is our beginning. In our time, infinity. In our doubt, there is believing. In our life, eternity. In our death, a resurrection. Hallelujah. In our death, a resurrection. At last, a victory. Unrevealed until this, its season. Something God alone can see. Those of us who have experienced a Saskatchewan winter. Oh, I don't mean blowing in and blowing out. I mean we live here. Those of us who have experienced a Saskatchewan winter will understand that although its death grip seems to be unending, the cold and snow and bitter winds will pass. Winter will not last. It cannot last. My Eritrean daughter-in-law, who's here somewhere, where are you? Samar, way at the back. Must have not, uh, some, somehow found out your, 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 uh, your father-in-law was ministering this morning. Did I ever tell you about the joke where the preacher got up and uh, and uh, the fellow at the back said, "Hey, I can't hear you back here." I guess I've told this, haven't I? <clears throat> to which the fellow at the front got up and said, "Hey, I can. I'll change places with you." <laughs> so, <clears throat> but this young lady who comes from Eritrea, and I have been to Eritrea. But I haven't lived there. I've just been passing through. In her first winter here, would ask, when will this insanity end? (laughs) When will it end? And I would reply, oh, about June 15th. (laughs) The curious part about that is I wasn't so far wrong. However, when the warmth of the sun increases higher in the sky and the warm breezes begin to blow, cold and snow have no option but to yield. But to yield and the spring is on its way. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds is come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. In Saskatchewan, it's the harsh voice of the crow. Not even close to the gentle coo of the dove. Here is a resurrection. From death, from the death of winter to the life of spring. What a contrast. 
One morning we're driving to church from Birch Hills to Prince Albert. It's winter. It's cold. Maybe a little bit of snow. And I remember my, my wife looked out the window of the car and she said, see those trees over there? They seem to have no life. They seem to have no life. There is life there, but you don't see it in the winter. But let the warmth of the sun shine upon those trees. Let the gentle uh, uh, rain come in early spring. Let the breeze begin to blow and life begins to spring forth. Oh, the winter of our lives cannot last. It will not last because God is our sunshine. God is our warmth. God is our gentle rain. God is the flow of the Spirit unto us as we heard so beautifully last night. Hallelujah. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be. In cocoons, a hidden promise. Butterflies will soon be free. From winter to spring, from the cocoon to the butterfly, from death into resurrection, life in our end is our beginning. In our time, infinity. In our doubt, there is believing. In our life, eternity. In our death, a resurrection. At the last, a victory. Oh, let us not hold our heads down in defeat. Let us not walk around as a defeated people. We are not a defeated people. I do not care what circumstances of our lives may exist. I don't care about the storms that come. I know someone that is greater than all sickness and all disease. Someone that is greater than all storms and all those things that the human condition is subject to. There is someone simply greater. Hallelujah. Someone greater. Greater is He that is in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. There is someone in you. Greater than He that is in the world. Oh, He wrecks His havoc in the world. He has no business here. Jesus said, He has no part of me. That's what He said. What about the enemy? You have no part in me. He has no part in us. No part. For the child of God, for the first fruits company, there is a progression. Oh, don't misunderstand. That little strawberry that I picked was the first one. It had no way, I'm sure it would not say, I am the best. 
Don't bother with those other little things coming along there. Forget about them. I'm the best. You're just first, that's all. And you're going to get eaten. But let the fruit come. Let the fruit follow. Let us be of that attitude. Let the fruit follow. Let His kingdom come. In all of its glory. In all of its beauty. In all of its might. Changed into what? Into His likeness. And into His image. The very attributes of Christ. You will never do any better yourself than producing a counterfeit of the fruit of the Spirit. In yourself, you will never do any better than producing the counterfeit. It is only the Spirit of God that will produce in you the real thing. The real fruit of the Spirit. It is only God. It is only the Holy Spirit. You can forget about doing it yourself. I used to think when I was working and I was so busy, if I, all I have to do is work a little harder. Just a few more hours a day and everything will be worked out good. And it never worked! I had to come to the place where I'd say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Except your hand would move in this. I'm finished. Probably fired. Oh, I, I, I long to be fired sometimes. <laughs> you ask Irene about that. I've, I, I resigned many times, only verbally to her. <laughs> Never got it on paper. Kind of glad I didn't. Now I get a pension. <laughs> anyway. For, for the child of God, for the First Fruits Company, there is a progression. There's a transformation. There's a metamorphosis. There is a passing from death unto life. There is coming forth from the bulb into the flower, from the seed into the apple tree, from the silence into song, and from the darkness into dawn. Oh, He has taken us out of our, out of our darkness into His marvelous light. I remember so well the day that somehow the light began to shine. I won't bore you with it again. But I remember it well. It was a milestone in my life. The darkness disappeared. And somehow, by the Spirit, by the eyes He was giving me, I could see what I'd never seen before. Wonderful thing. Out of darkness into His marvelous light. <clears throat> Yes, what an analogy. What a hope. The blood washed, the faithful, the first fruits will come forth in the likeness and in the image of Christ as they shed this garment of flesh and are clothed in Christ in all of His attributes. Oh, let the fruit of the Spirit, let it come forth. Let it be our identifying characteristic. And you know something? 
The first, peop- the first thing that people is going, that people will see in you and me, is love. Love will be the motivating factor. Don't ever estimate, underestimate. Please don't ever underestimate what might seem to be a small thing. You know, God's eyes are ever watchful. What might seem to be a small thing to you might be a pretty important thing to others. I have, I think I have yet to experience if Irene and I have visited someone that is in hospital, nursing home, uh, infirm in some, in some way, that it doesn't come back to us that that person has told somebody else, you know who visited me today? You know who visited me today? What does that say? What does that say? Brother Smith was talking about the same thing in his case. It says that was important. They may not remember what you said. They may not remember much that was done or said, but they remember that you visited. That you took of your time and that you went to see them and you took some time out of your day and you went to see them. Let us never underestimate what might seem to be a small thing and the thing that we might pass by and say, well, you know, really, should I really bother? Likely not very important. You know, the person's mind isn't too good. There's a favorite one, isn't it? fellow one day came to the same restaurant, got well-known with the waitresses and so on, knew that he went to see his wife every day in the nursing home. One day the waitress said to him, you know, it isn't really very important that you go, is it? Because she, she doesn't know you, does she? You know what his reply was? She doesn't know me, but I know her. But I know her. Boy, I'll tell you, he said something in a few words. My time is quickly gone, as usual. And I'll, uh, I'll keep keeping you. (laughs) Just give me a few more minutes. I get sidetracked, and that's why what happens. <clears throat> oh, I know that there has been some newness of life that has sprung forth in my body. I'm sure you have in yours. But I long for the fullness of it. I long for the fullness of that newness of life to spring forth in these physical bodies. I'm reminded of Romans 8.11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead also, He, uh, pardon me, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to or quicken your mortal bodies 
through His Spirit who dwells in you. We have no life in ourselves, nor can we produce the fruit of the Spirit in ourselves. For we read in the 15th chapter of John, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it might bear more fruit. A tree responds very well to pruning. And the response is an abundance of fruit. However, the vine dresser, the husbandman, must know what he's doing so as not to damage the tree or prune too excessively. We have an apple tree at home. When I go to prune it, I bring the gardener along. Because I might do the wrong thing. And I might damage the tree. But she won't damage the tree, but she gives it an awful haircut. How do we respond to God's pruning? He knows what He's doing. And more fruit is what He wants to produce in us. Abide in me. Remain faithful or tapped into me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides or is tapped into the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I was going to read it from the Phillips. I won't take the time to do it. But the, the message is clear. We can try to abide by ourselves. We can do all kinds of wonderful things ourselves. But if we're not abiding in the vine, we are nothing. Is there someone here? who knows the, the song, The First Fruits Company. Well, I guess that settles that. <clears throat> These scriptures that I've just read imply a very close and intimate relationship. Abiding in Christ and He in us, just as the branches tapped into the vine so are we tapped into the life of Christ. His life is flowing more and more, we sing. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, it says. You know, I found an explanation of that scripture, and I'm not sure that this is a right explanation, but it's an interesting one. And I want to just present it to you. This taking away business, could mean exactly what it says. Literally, cutting off. But there are some translations that indicate it may be better translated as lift up. Which presents the idea of working with the branch to enable it to produce fruit or to promote better growth. That seems so like Christ to me. 
that he would want to work with the branch so that it would, it would enable it to produce fruit, even though it's not producing fruit. So I just presented that as, as something that I thought was rather interesting and perhaps might be a better rendering of that, of that scripture. <clears throat> Stand, please. Cause me to come to thy river, O Lord. Cause me to drink at thy river, O Lord. just say this before we would close that song you have come you've come here you've come but in the coming he's saying drink don't just come drink and by the drinking he will cause you to live amen there's, there's, quite a, there's quite a message in one line there. Come, drink, and live. Praise God. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.